Or maybe if you're of Scottish heritage, maybe the, the, the sentence, they can take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. I don't see anyone painted up this morning, so I'm guessing that's not a popular one. Here's one. Maybe you can resonate with Dory. Just keep swimming. In our passage this morning, we see Paul's motto, the proverb that sums up his life. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And that, that phrase is often used to communicate the message that someone is composed about decomposing. It's a statement that seems most likely one to be quoted when death is imminent. And so the emphasis is probably weighted towards the gain experienced by the believer at their death. And I'm not wanting for a minute to downplay the comfort and assurance and joy that the follower of Jesus has, knowing that there is nothing greater than seeing Jesus face to face. There is no greater comfort for the family that remain after a, a believer has passed than knowing that their loved one is in the presence of their Lord and Saviour. Please don't hear me taking anything away from that truth this morning. But I think for us to grasp the gain that Paul sees waiting the believer after death, I think we need to grapple with the whole of the statement. For death to be gain, a life must first be surrendered to Christ. And there's the question for us this morning. Is your life surrendered to Christ? The Apostle Paul's life was, in fact, both in life and death, totally wrapped up in Jesus. His life found its meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this, our passage this morning will show us that a life surrendered to Jesus will be a life that is confident of salvation. It will be a life that is fully satisfied in Christ. And it will be a life that is committed to the service of the gospel. But if we jump too quickly into verse 21, then there's a chance that Paul can be seen as no more than just a devoted follower whose life is defined by an obsession. And the same can be true for us today. I'm sure we see it everywhere we look. Life can be defined by religion. Life can be defined by financial success, of social success. Life can be defined by physical well-being. 
And that which defines our life will affect how we think. And it will affect how we behave. It will govern these things. Last week we, we saw that, that Paul was willing to endure hardship and to put his priorities aside for the sake of the gospel. And in all of Paul's present circumstances, Paul actually says, I rejoice. All of his present hardships, Paul is rejoicing. And in through verse 19, we see not just in the present, but he actually looks to the future. And he says, I will rejoice. One of the reasons for this is because Paul is confident of salvation. He interprets his circumstances in the context of salvation. He doesn't interpret his salvation in the context of his circumstances. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. He's confident that she'll be right. He's certain that whatever situation he finds himself in, and in the context of this letter, that is imprisonment, that is hardship and trouble that's been stirred up against him. Whatever the situation of Paul's life, he is confident that it will ultimately end in his salvation. And the salvation that he's speaking of, in our, our translation here, it's translated as deliverance. It's not a, a physical salvation or release from his imprisonment. He's not seeking to avoid execution if that's what the Lord desires. He's speaking of a, a spiritual salvation, eternal salvation. And the words he uses here paints a picture that he is unperturbed by his surroundings. That is, he's looking ahead with certainty. He is certain that he will experience the fullness of salvation seeing Jesus face to face. And when, when that happens, Paul says he's not going to be disappointed. Verse 20 says, I will not be at all ashamed. And the biblical understanding of shame here has to do with disappointment. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Romans 5, Romans 1, and in 2 Timothy 1 as well. But this, this confidence of Paul doesn't come from within his self. It's not just a stoic, I'm sure it'll happen. See, Paul knows that he can't endure on his own. It's not a confidence in isolation, friends. But it's a confidence through communion. It's a confidence that's based on the power of God. Power of God which is exercised through the, the communion of God's people 
in the presence of God's Spirit. We see that in verse 19. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The help of the Spirit often comes through God's gospel partners. For Paul, it came in the the form of Epaphroditus, sent by the Philippian church with financial and material support and with encouragement, knowing that the Philippian believers were praying for Paul, praying that he would be strengthened. And when he sees this, when he receives it, he is truly encouraged. He sees the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the Philippian believers. And he sees the Spirit's work in and through his own life. He is assured, he is confident of his salvation. Now I've seen these partnerships happening in the life of our church through this week. A primary school age boy stands in the middle of a driveway in Mapleton. And he prays a prayer to accept Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. That does not happen in isolation. The Spirit of God is at work in in and through the prayers of God's people. See, when we as a church are obedient to the Spirit's leading, when we get in the trenches of gospel partnership with one another, miracles happen. And when Jesus is proclaimed and received, he is glorified. For Paul, gospel partnership, communion with God's people and his spirit is not optional, but essential. Is it for us? I think there's evidence that yes, it is. The rest of this little section shows the beauty that Paul's confidence isn't confined just to salvation. His confidence in his salvation is matched by his confidence that Christ will be honoured in his body, whether by death or life. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether it's best for Paul to go on living or for him to die, excuse me, to die, doesn't seem to matter to Paul. If Jesus is best glorified in Paul's continuing in this life, boldly sharing Christ to whoever is around him, and encouraging the believers in various churches, well, fantastic, according to Paul. If Christ's glory is better served by Paul dying, then great. That's fine too. See, Paul knew exactly what it was to proclaim Christ boldly. He was a veteran of hundreds of lashes. 
He, he did not know what pain or humiliation awaited him here. Yet that didn't matter. There was no fear for Paul. Rather, there was abounding, eager confidence that whatever happened, Christ would be glorified. And we can't know what pain or humiliation might await us. We don't know what it might take for Christ to be glorified in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces. It might mean missing out on a promotion. It might mean a career change altogether. It might mean sticking your neck out in your friendship group, professing what you believe, or taking the courageous step of asking someone if they'd like to read the Bible with you. It will take courage, and it will take gospel partnership. Do it, but don't do it alone. Paul knows that he will not be disappointed with a life lived in submission to Jesus Christ. Paul puts his life aside for the sake of the gospel. Because a surrendered life is satisfied in Christ. And here we see his motto, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. See, Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, because Christ was the conscious centre of everything for Paul. Paul's life was defined by Christ. His life found its meaning in Jesus. And Jesus' life was one given in life and death for the sake of God's glory and so that we might have life. Paul says to the Galatian church, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So for Paul, the statement, for me to live is Christ, is not the triumphant sentimentality of a trouble-free life, but it's the joyous embrace of everything that comes in a life lived with Jesus at its centre. And Paul's Life itself was proof that his statement was correct. He lived following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples in Mark chapter 8, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For someone whose life finds its meaning in Jesus, then obviously to leave this life and go and be in the presence of Christ must be gain. If he defines their life, then death can be something to look forward to. Verse 22, Paul is describing this Satisfaction he 
describes his life in surrender to Jesus as fruitful labour, a satisfying work. I was listening to a conversation between a radio host and a master bricklayer during the week. And the brickie talked about the satisfaction he got when at the end of the job he could see it completed and completed well. When he saw the results of his work, he was satisfied. And I guess it would be the same for a farmer at harvest time. When they see the crop, it seems to make all the work of growing the harvest and harvesting worthwhile. But what if that end doesn't come? What if the work goes on without the satisfaction of seeing it finished? See, the harvest isn't guaranteed for the farmer. Pests, drought, flood could all mean that their labour would be in vain. It's not so for Paul, though. He sees his life as one of fruitful labour because it is guaranteed by God. When Paul labours so that fruit would be produced, its production is the work of God. And the fruitfulness of God's work is certain. In Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive their wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Jesus talks about the fruit of labour in John 15. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to the glory of my Father. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruit, fruitful labour. Isn't that something we all desire? Do you desire to be satisfied in the work that you're doing? Do you desire to see the results of your labour? So I think if we're to truly understand what the Bible means by fruit, we need to have a, an understanding that is broader than just the conversion of new believers. Fruit is also the ongoing growth and maturity of a life surrendered to Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of believers. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
That is the fruit of labour. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship is also a fruit of labour. But this can be hard to hear, especially for people who have been labouring in ministry for so long. Who haven't seen new people come to know Jesus. Who haven't seen the results of all the planning, the hours of preparation, the energy expended in the programs. But see, fruit is more than just a new believer. It is people coming to Jesus, don't get me wrong. But fruit is also seen in the life of a Christian. Paul sees it in his own life. He sees it in the life of the Philippians. And he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The question is, if we examine our own lives, are we going to be able to say the same thing? How would we finish the phrase, for me to live is what? For Paul, to live was a life surrendered to Jesus Christ, whatever brought glory to Jesus. Whatever made the reality of Christ in his life more obvious, be that imprisonment, ridicule, beatings, or even death, you decide, Lord, it's all good for Paul. What is life for us? Is it something that finds its meaning in Christ? Is life for us something that is lived in submission to the power and authority of Jesus? And as we move on, we find that after being so confident in his, his eternal outcome, Paul now seems uncertain. But we'll notice that this uncertainty relates not to his salvation, not to his satisfaction, but it relates to his present situation, how things will work out. And in this we see from Paul's to and fro that a surrendered life is committed to service. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's up front with his friends says, it'd be for my, to my advantage for me to go, to leave you and go be with Jesus. It'd be better by far. But it would be to your advantage should Christ choose that I stay. 
So why does Paul seem convinced now that he will stay? I think it's because he puts his priorities and desires aside for the sake of the believers. See, their progression in the faith brings glory to Christ. And it too is fruitful labour for Paul. Remember what Paul prays for his dear friends in Philippi. We see that in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If the answer to that prayer would be achieved by Paul's continuing with them and through his coming to be with them, then count him in. He's all for it. God's desire, the desire of Jesus Christ, is that we would bear much fruit and that in doing so bring glory to God the Father, showing ourselves to be his disciples. It's Jesus' desire and it's Paul's desire too. Is it yours? Is it your desire to be fruitful for Jesus? Paul says in our passage this morning that the joy of a life surrendered to Jesus is in that it's confident of salvation. The joy of a life surrendered to Jesus is satisfied in Christ. The joy of a life surrendered to Jesus is in its commitment to fruitful service. Is that what describes your life this morning? Do you want it to? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Is he the conscious centre of all that you do? Friends, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if with the Apostle Paul you can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then praise God. And let me encourage you to glory in Jesus and to cultivate these gospel partnerships, this fellowship with one another for the sake of Jesus Christ. Continue to answer the call to support your brothers and sisters as they go to another country, another place in our state, as they go to the school that surrounds us, as they go to the, the homes and the neighbourhoods around us, as they go out and work a garden, whatever it may be, support one another. As they invite their non-Christian friends around and invite you as well, 
Well, go and be part of it. Be part of that gospel work. Pray for it. Pray that your eyes will be open to see the fruit of that labor. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, if your life finds its meaning in something other than him, the question is, is it satisfying? Does death hold out the promise of gain for you? Jesus freely offers salvation. He freely offers satisfaction. He freely offers fruitful labor. You just have to ask him for it. You just need to surrender to him. If that is you, and you would like to know more about how to surrender your life to Jesus. I'd encourage you to grab someone after the service, someone who you know is living a life fully surrendered to Christ, and talk to them. Ask them how you can live that way as well. But do it now. Do it today. Don't leave it. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who have surrendered their life fully to Jesus, I pray that Today they will see the fruit of their labour, that they will find their true satisfaction in Christ, no matter what the situations. Lord, I pray that we'll be people who join one another, who fellowship with one another in that gospel work, who through our prayers and through the Holy Spirit's prompting supplying material, financial and other support, Lord, we might truly be people who are living lives surrendered to Christ. Lord Jesus, for those who are here today who are thinking of surrendering their life to you, I pray that your spirit will be doing his miraculous work, that through your word, they may see who Jesus truly is. They might see the satisfaction and the salvation that he offers to us. We pray these things for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.